It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord. We're glad you're here. Second Corinthians chapter nine this morning. Second Corinthians chapter nine. We are doing a series on service, on what does it mean to be a servant of God? What does it look like to be a servant of the Lord? We know that it is God's will that we not only serve him here on earth, but one day we will be serving him throughout all of eternity. So service is really important to the Lord. In fact, one of the things that hopefully every Christian will want to hear one day from the Lord when we get to glory is, well done, thou good and faithful, what? Servant. Servant. Yes, yes. So what Paul does, though, in the midst of this great book of 2 Corinthians is when we come to chapter 8 and 9, he pauses... And he wants to devote two chapters to talk about grace. And the reason he does so is because he wants us to understand that just like we need to live in grace, we need to do everything as a Christian with God's grace. We obviously then need to learn to serve in God's grace or to serve by God's grace. We saw last week that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So that God's grace literally defined everything that Paul was. And he learned to live his life at every moment by God's grace and to serve his Lord by God's grace. And that's what he wants to impart to us. Grace is not only defined as the undeserved merit of God or favor of God that he bestows upon us. It is also defined as God's supernatural help his supernatural empowerment or enablement that he gives to us. Now, that grace can be pushed away, that grace can be refused, that grace can be rejected, but we need to learn to accept that grace and receive that grace. And one of the primary ways we do that is by humbling ourselves before the Lord. The Bible says God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when you and I are humble, we recognize our need at all times of the Lord's grace, and therefore we learn to live in dependence and reliance upon him continually. All right? Now, last week in chapter 8, we saw evidences of God's grace. And by the way, if you look just for a moment at 2 Corinthians 8.1, you see there that one of the other things that Paul points out is that God's grace is not just bestowed or given to us as individuals, but God also bestows his grace upon churches, local churches, just like the Oasis, upon a community of believers so that not only as individuals we can accomplish all that God designs and saved us for and wants to see happen, but that as a church, as a community of believers, we can also accomplish all that God has for us as well, but it's only by his grace. So today, in chapter 9 primarily, we're looking at the workings and wealth of grace, the workings and wealth of grace. And if you just look for a moment with me also, Again, this is all in the context, though, of service. You'll notice in 2 Corinthians 9, 1, Paul says, for it is not necessary, but why does he do it then? Why does he write about this? Because he wants to emphasize it. 
So for the sake of emphasis, it's not necessary for me to write to you about notice this service to the saints. And we talked about that last week, but I want to mention it again. First of all, God says, yes, I want you to be available to serve me to whoever out there in the world. But I want you to understand that it is a high priority of me that you take care of one another, that you look out for the saints. We talked about that. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, do not grow weary in doing good, but in due season you will reap if you do not faint. As we therefore have opportunity to do good, let's do good to all people, but especially, Paul says in, in, in Galatians 6, 10, especially to those who are of the household of faith, Okay service to the saints. This is the context that Paul is writing here about. And then look at verse 13 of chapter 9, through the evidence of this service. So again, we are to live our lives by God's grace or in God's grace with his supernatural help at all times. So that means also that when we learn to serve him as a servant of God, we're to do it by God's grace. Learning to be a servant of God is not just doing what we know God wants us to do. It's doing it in the way God wants us to do it. And the way God always wants us to be serving him is by his grace, you see, by his grace. One more thing before we dive into the chapter this morning. Let's talk for a moment, again, and this is for those of you that may not have been here last week or listened to the message from last week. Here's the backdrop of what's happening. Paul's trying to collect an offering of all these churches, Gentile churches primarily, and then distribute it to these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And the reason being what precipitated this is when these Jews became Christians, many of them were ostracized by their family. Their family turned their back on them. Okay, they were like dead to them at that point as a Christian. And if they were a business owner, they were basically boycotted so that people would not come and do business with them. So they were really taking a hit financially. It was costing them literally a great deal to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, Let's encourage our Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's not only try to help them meet some of their needs through this offering, but let's just remind them that they're not going through this alone, that, that we are with them and we're praying for them and we're going to collect this offering and we're going to distribute it to them. And, and that's what the backdrop of all that Paul talks about in chapter 8 and 9 is all about, okay? Now, you and I understand that service is way more than giving or being generous. So I want you to not just narrow your focus when we talk about these principles, because these principles can be applied to any area of service that we are doing. But again, keeping in mind the context, Paul here is primarily talking to this church about giving to an offering that's going to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. With that in mind, let's begin by talking about the attitudes of grace that we see here, meaning that when you and I as individuals or when you and I as a church are allowing God to shape our attitude by his grace, Paul says there's going to be three things that are evident. 
And you see the first one in verse 2. Let me pick it up, though, in verse 1 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. For it is not necessary for me to write to you about this service to the saints, because I know your eagerness to help. I keep even boasting to the Macedonians about this eagerness of yours. Eagerness, a ready and willingness at all times to step up and to serve. In this context, to give, to help out in any way. An eagerness, a ready and willingness. God, I'm always ready. You see, when, when you and I live by God's grace, there, there will be created in our inner spirit this eagerness. Like, God, what can I do? What can I do to help? Uh, I, I want to help God in some way. Show me where I can help. Show me who I can help. And that there's this spirit of ready and willingness to help. In fact, if you go back for just a moment to chapter 8, Notice what Paul said about the other churches, the churches of Macedonia. He said they were begging us with great earnestness or eagerness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. Wow, what an attitude to have, to be ready and willing at all times. Because again, remember, as we started this series on service, we should not define our service simply as acts of service that we do you know, what ministries or whatever that we're involved in. We are to be a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week servant of God. We're to always wake up every day basically saying, Lord, I'm your servant, Wh whatever you have for me today. And that there's that eagerness and ready and willingness to do whatever God taps us to do, whatever he moves us to do by his Holy Spirit. And that can only, though, be created and sustained when you and I are living and receiving the grace of God. Notice the next one. Let me keep on reading. I keep boasting to the Macedonians about this eagerness of yours that Achaia has been ready to give since last year, and your zeal enthusiasm, not just an eagerness, not just a ready and willingness, but an enthusiasm to serve, an enthusiasm to give. See, the Bible says, in fact, Paul says in Colossians, I think it's chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you and I do, do it enthusiastically as to the Lord and not to just people. Not that we're not serving people, but ultimately we are serving the Lord. And therefore, everything that we do as a servant should be done enthusiastically. If you and I can't bring that kind of an attitude, you know, if it's just sort of like, yeah, I'm serving the Lord. Yeah, oh boy, that's really going to, you know. People sometimes ask me, Pastor, you know, you need to calm down a little bit. You, you get a little bit too excited up there. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I mean, the fact that I get to share God's word with God's people as my calling in life, that I get to do this, that, that I get to, you know, spend my days studying the word of God and, and being involved with the saints of God and God's people and building a church together like we are. I mean, I don't know about you. That's makes me excited. 
And, and, and here's the other thing. I think for all of us, it's because, remember, when you and I are serving the Lord and we're doing things for the Lord, it's things that's going to matter a bazillion years from now. It's things that really count. It matters not just for now. It matters for eternity. It gives us purpose every day. And we should be enthusiastic about what we're doing because when you and I do anything for the Lord, even Jesus said, giving a cup of cold water in my name, we're doing it to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It adds such dignity and honor and privilege to everything we do. And therefore, nothing should be looked at as, well, I'm just doing so-and-so. You know, it's like when I hear Christians say, all, all I can do is pray for you. You're shaking the foundations of the universe when you're praying. That's no small thing. You're talking to the Lord of glory. He's responding and hearing your great prayers. Do it enthusiastically. I love here at the Oasis that we have a group of people here who are eager. I mean, you guys are ready and willing in, in general to serve the Lord and to step up and just say, what can we do to help? You've always had that kind. And we want to continue to not only see that uh, maintain, but we want to see that grow and we want to see that spread so that everybody who comes in contact with this fellowship of believers begins to realize, ah, there's something different about that group. And, and maybe it's this grace that they keep talking about and, and tapping into this idea that builds that eagerness and then that enthusiasm. So they're not just serving the Lord, but they're doing it with such a great positive attitude, which leads to one last attitude of, that demonstrates grace. He says in verse 2, they've been ready to give since last year and your zeal to participate has stirred up most of them. Eagerness, enthusiasm, encouragement, encouragement. Notice he's saying, God used your attitudes of grace as you serve the Lord to stir up other believers and encourage them to serve the Lord as well. See, that, that's what God wants to, that's one of the reasons why God brings us together. That's one of the reasons why coming to church and being faithful to the body of Christ is important because it's not just about us. I've heard so many Christians over the years say, I can worship the Lord on my own. Yeah, but you can't encourage other Christians on your own. And that's one of the, the, the commands that God has for us is that we are to be an encouragement and a strength to other believers. You can't do that when you're not meeting on a regular basis. You can't stir others up, which is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 when he says, we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we should encourage one another and stir one another up even more and more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Stirring one another up, encouraging one another. But Paul's a realist, isn't he? Notice how he ends verse 2. You've stirred up most of them. Because can I say something? you're never going to get total buy-in. Never. And, and I'm not being pessimistic here. That's just the way it is. You could have whatever group of people you want, not every last person is going to buy into that. 
If you can get most of the people in your church, just like Paul was saying, that's good. Because you're never going to get total buy-in from every last person who attends your church to buy in to serving, to buying in to serving by God's grace, and serving with the attitudes of eagerness, enthusiasm, and encouragement towards others. But Paul doesn't stop there. He moves from the attitudes of grace to the avenues of grace, beginning in verse 5. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you in advance there in Corinth to arrange ahead of time the generous contribution you had promised so this may be ready as a generous gift and not as something you feel forced to do. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. I want you to concentrate on the word contribution and the word gift. Actually, in the original, it's the same word. It means to be a blessing, that's the first avenue of grace that you see here is that when you and I are operating in God's grace and we're serving by God's grace, we're not just meeting people's needs by what we do or whatever. We are being a blessing to them. They are, they are blessed in their spirit, you see, by what we do. They're forever changed we're benefiting and profiting them, spiritually speaking. And that's what Paul wanted them to see here. He says, when you and I serve by grace, it's not just that they're going to get this collection and they're going to be able to go, oh, now I can go out and buy some bread for my family. It's going to do something to them spiritually, too. Again, it's going to be a reminder that they're not in this alone and that God moved these other believers to to pay attention to what was going on and to, and to have a heart of compassion and empathy and sympathy and reach out to them and that they're not just meeting our needs physically. We know then because of this, they're probably praying for us and they're thinking about us and there's solid, this solidarity and there's this you know, camaraderie and this esprit de corps that's developed through grace because we're a blessing. God wants our service not to just be something that we go through the motions to do, but that the avenue leads to being a blessing to others. That's why God wants us to make sure that whatever service we are taking on, that we're doing what he wants us to do in the way he wants us to do it. Because as I said several weeks ago, you know, you, you, have, you have people maybe throughout your life, and maybe this was you at one time or whatever, where you give somebody a gift but it's not really a gift that really benefits them because it's more a gift that you like rather than what you know they like. It says more about you than it does them. And, and so often in the church, so often as Christians, we can be the same way. It's like, I want to serve the Lord doing this because this is what I like to do and this is what I want to do. And it's like, okay, but is that really blessing anybody? Is that really benefiting anybody? Are they spiritually profiting from that, you see? And that's something that we have to check up on because, again, if we're just living in God's grace and serving by his grace, that'll take care of itself. God's grace will work through us, and we will be a blessing and a profit and a benefit to those that we're serving. But Paul doesn't stop there. Notice verse 6. My point is this, 
The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. One of the avenues of grace is to be a blessing. The second is to look at our service as an investment. An investment. It's not just a blessing, it's an investment. Now, obviously, he was talking here about material things, this offering. And he was saying, yeah, that's an investment. But we've got to look at all of our service as an investment. You see, what is given, God wants us to get to this place in our life. Whatever we give isn't given away, it's invested. It has the power through God to be multiplied and increased. That's why God expects every one of us as Christians, say in the context of giving, to give something. Now, obviously, some, even materially, physically, financially, can give more than others. But God wants all of us to develop the habit and the mindset and the discipline that all of us can give something. And even if it's a very little bit, like that widow we talked about last week who just gave her might, or like the little lad that was willing to give up his lunch of five loaves and two fishes, God is saying that if you live by my grace and serve by my grace, you realize whatever you're giving to me, I'm going to increase it and multiply it. It's not going to stay at that level. I'm going to touch it, and I'm going to use it to bless more than you could ever imagine. So that's why Paul's encouraging them to sow with the idea that whatever I sow, it's, an, it's, like a, it's like the farmer, which is why Paul uses that agrarian concept. He's saying, look, when the farmer goes out there and plants those seeds in that dry ground, he's investing. She's investing. They're, they're literally just putting those seeds into the ground and realizing that with the proper care and the proper water and all of that, man, it's going to multiply. It's going to increase. It's not going to stay like one little seed. And you and I have to have that mentality as well. That's when we begin to understand the avenues of grace. Not just the attitudes of grace, the avenue of grace, the pathway of grace. It will lead to blessing others, and it will be an investment that we place into the Lord's hands and, and know that he has the power to increase and multiply whatever we place into his hands, whatever we serve with. But then look at verse 7. The final avenue of grace is it's got to flow from the heart. He said, each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Let me say this at this point. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is probably the one chapter in the Bible that will explain to the people who come to our church why we do giving or not giving the way that we do here. Why we don't pass a plate, why you never hear me talk about money and giving except when it's in the passage that we're talking about, why we just have a box that sits back there that you can give, because that's exactly what Paul's talking about here in the context of giving. He said, giving should be a matter between you and God, and that's it. Because if it's by grace, it flows from our heart. It should never, Paul said, be something that's done reluctantly or grudgingly. 
Let me just say it. Some Christians just don't enjoy giving. And Paul says, if you're there, then don't, because that clearly means you're not operating by grace. You're not serving, whatever you're doing, giving, serving, whatever. If you're doing it reluctantly, if you're doing it simply because you feel you should, and a duty, an obligation, Paul says, stop. That's not serving by grace. In fact, then going back up to the attitudes of grace, that certainly isn't going to encourage other Christians to serve. Because they're looking at us as an example going, well, they're miserable while they're serving God. And let's face it, that happens in a lot of local churches, right? I've even heard some of you who've come from other churches who one of the first things you say once you get to know us and get to know me and feel like this is the place God has for you is, I'm just, Pastor, I, I just, I need to take a couple months off and serve because where I was at serving, I just got run into the ground. I, I mean, it was just like, there, there was no break. There, it was just constant this. And, and I, I just, I felt like I just couldn't breathe while I was serving. See, we never want that to be the case here. That's part of the reason why God led me to call this place the Oasis. So that if you come here and you want to serve here, it should never be burdensome. It shouldn't be something that's drudgery, something that's grudging but just a well-fitted responsibility that you can do and do it joyfully and not feel like you're weighted down and that you've got to sell your soul to serve at our church. That's the problem, is that so many Christians are being discouraged from serving because they're looking around at other Christians who are serving, who are miserable, who are burned out, who are burning the candle at both ends, who are never able to get a break, and they're going, well, if that's what serving the Lord is, I don't want it. I don't want any parts of it. That's not being an encouragement, you see. And so Paul even says when it comes to the avenue of grace, it's got to flow from the heart. So he goes on to say, it can't even be under compulsion. It can't be under constraint or pressure. How many pastors or how many Christians have put pressure and, and put Christians on guilt trips and, and tried to manipulate and all that to get them to serve or get them to give? No, that's not grace. See, I tell people, I don't talk about money and budgets and things like that because I am firmly convinced of this biblical principle. If you and I as a church are doing what God wants us to do and we're being led ultimately by him, then God will move it upon your hearts and my heart to give to it. You won't need me up here, you know, rallying you and cajoling because it's supposed to come from our heart. That's one of the big avenues of grace. That's when you and I know we're operating in grace and we're serving in grace when it's flowing from our heart, when it's just between us and God, you see, and not feeling like, I, I can tell you in some of the churches I grew up in that primarily 75 to 80 percent of the people who were serving did so because they felt the pressure or felt guilted into it. Or like there would be this idea that an announcement was made, we don't have anybody to teach the fifth grade boys. Nobody wants to teach the fifth, which I can understand. You ever been around fifth grade boys? <laughs> I can understand that, you know. And so here'd be this, you know, dear, dear lady. She'd go, well, 
I'll do it since nobody else will do it. See, my feeling is, look, let that need go. Because it's not going to do any good to put somebody in there that really doesn't feel called to be there, doesn't really want to be in there. They're just, they're just filling an obligation that they feel pressured into. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't come across the way God wants his people to come across to one another and how he wants service and ministry and all of that to be done in his name. No, it's got to be by grace. So that leads me to the final three, the accounts of grace. The accounts of grace. Notice first all, off in verse 8, God is able. Let's just stop there. Underline those three words. Do you believe God is able today? God is able, my friends. This idea means that he can exert overwhelming, unstoppable power in any direction he wants to. That's how God is able. He cannot be, when he, when he puts his mind to doing something, there is nothing in the universe or no one that can stop him. His power is overwhelming. God is able. But notice in this context, Paul says to them, God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that be you, let me stop, getting ahead of myself here overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. Let's go back to that phrase, because you have enough. The accounts of grace, I have sufficiency of God. I have sufficiency of God. When you and I are living in grace and serving by God's grace, we begin to understand and recognize and acknowledge and become aware of the fact that we have a sufficiency of God at all times. You have enough. We live in a world today that keeps telling us, and even Christians who tell each other, we're not enough. You're not enough. We're not enough. No, no, no. When you understand God's grace, you understand, yeah, we are enough. In him, we're enough. He made us enough, as Paul said earlier. He made us adequate to be his servants. And by his grace, we recognize his absolute sufficiency. We have a sufficiency through Christ. It means we are at all times to be satisfied with God and whatever God chooses to give us at that moment because it's sufficient in him and through him. It's the same concept that Paul used to the Philippians in Philippians 4.10 when he said, I've learned to be content. Remember that verse? The word content simply means I'm aware of my sufficiency in God at all times. I may not, because Paul said, there have been times in my life where I've had a lot materially and physically, and there's been times in my life where I've had very little materially and physically. But that didn't change the fact that in God, I knew I had a sufficiency at all times. That's what it means. When you and I begin to account grace, we realize I have all that I need at all times, no matter what, because we measure material things. And that's sometimes even what discourages us from serving and from giving and stuff, because I don't have as, I'm enough. What did we look at last week? Jesus was the example. Even though he was rich in heaven, he became poor for our sake so that through his what? Poverty we might become rich. Did Jesus have a lot of physical, material stuff while he was here on earth? No. He even said, I don't even have a place to lay my head most times. 
but he's still affecting people on this earth 2,000 years later because he understood, I live by grace, and therefore I always have a sufficiency of God in me, which means that I can touch people's lives, and I can transform lives, and I can change lives because I have God's grace in me, and I don't even need a dime to be able to do it. What did Peter say and John when they were walking up to the temple and they saw the man there? Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Rise up and walk. And the man was healed. Too often we measure what we can do and how we can serve the Lord because we bought into the world's philosophy of I can only serve the Lord based upon what I have materially and physically. No, you've got the grace of God available to you at all times, and you are sufficient to go out there and change this world every day. The second account of grace, verse 10. Now God who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. The first account of grace is sufficiency. The second is God's seed. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. Very important point if we're operating in grace. God's the one that provides the seed, which means this, which means this. If God wants me to give something, God wants me to do something, he'll provide the seed to do it. I don't need to come up with the seed myself. God will provide it through his grace. That's why sometimes when Christians get, you know, like, oh, I, I want to help this individual or I want to help this need, but I don't have it, then my, I look at them and go, then God doesn't want you to. Because if God wanted you to be the answer, God would have provided the seed to do it. That's the amazing thing about living in grace. It takes all the pressure off. But what it does do is then go, oh, then I'm going to start praying for God to supply me with seed so that I can help more and so I can invest more. Which, by the way, verse 10 is a complete argument against the prosperity gospel because the prosperity gospel that's taught in many churches today and from many pulpits and from many pastors is they encourage you to give so that you can build up your own personal bank account and have more materially and physically. And I'm not saying God doesn't bless us physically because you and I all know, especially here in America, we are way more blessed than most of the other people that live around the world, right? But notice the principle. God provides seed for the sower so that we can invest it. Yeah, bread for us, but he will supply seed and will provide and multiply your supply of seed to further invest, causing the harvest of your what? Your righteousness to grow. Not your bank account. Your righteousness. In other words, it is seed to be invested spiritually and eternally to be able to bless others and benefit them, as we talked about earlier. It's not a harvest of material things. It's a harvest of righteousness. Prosperity people don't want to hear that, you see, because there's nothing selfish about God providing more seed for us. It's not seed that he provides for us so that we can be more wealthy. It's if he provides more seed for us, it just gives us more opportunities to bless others. Blessed to be a blessing. That's living by grace. That's serving by grace. One final one, verse 11 You will be enriched in every way 
so that you may be generous on every occasion. Wow. There are accounts of grace, sufficiency of God, seed of God, final one, the supply of God. Enriched in every way speaks about our resources through Christ, our riches in Christ. Do you know, many times as Christians, we don't consider ourselves wealthy? Seriously. Why? Again, because we bought into the world's philosophy that wealth means material and physical things. And yet, as God's people, we walk around every day as literally the wealthiest, richest people on earth, regardless of what we have materially and physically. Because my Bible, your Bible, says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Blessed with every, not just some spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing. We're rich in Jesus. We're rich through Jesus. And Paul's basically reminding them of that. You will be enriched in every way. God will make sure that that continuous supply comes to you, not only to provide bread for you and your family, but to provide even more seed so that you can be a greater blessing to others. It's the exact same thing that Paul said again to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He said, my God will supply what? All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A continual supply. Continual supply. And my goodness, every day you and I wake up wealthy beyond belief. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've been forgiven. Our account of sin is gone as far as God's concerned. And then he pours all his righteousness into us as his children. We've been given the Holy Spirit who lives within us every day. We've been given his word. We've been given the opportunity to worship him. We've been given a mind to grasp his truth. We've been given the good news of the gospel to be able to share with lost people. We've been given an eternal purpose every day. We have the privilege and honor of being able to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords with every breath that we breathe on this earth. We are rich, my friends, beyond belief. Amen. And when you and I begin to live in his grace, we realize how wealthy and rich and blessed we are, which is why when we live in grace, and we serve in grace, and the attitudes of grace begin to flow, and the avenues of grace begin to flow, and the accounts of grace begin to flow through us, you know what the result is? Worship. <laughs> Notice what it says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion, which is producing what? Through us, thanksgiving to God, worship, gratitude to God. Because of the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with what? Many thanks to God, many acts of worship. Through the evidence of this service, they will glorify, they will praise, they will celebrate God because of your obedience. And then finally, look at verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When we live in grace and we serve in God's grace, we can't help but worship him because we understand the accounts of grace. We understand the avenues of grace. 
We understand the attitudes of grace, and we understand it's all because of God, and it all has to come back to God. So let me ask you today, are you right now in your life surrendered to the purpose of God? Whatever that is, whatever place of service, whatever God is asking of you and moving you, are you surrendered to that? And then the second part, are you doing it God's way? If you're where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, are you doing it his way, which is by grace? Will you stand and let's pray? Father God, I pray today that you would move amongst your people today, that God, every last one of us, when we realize your grace, God, that has been bestowed upon us, not just at the cross, not just at the moment that we were saved, but every moment that we live this life, God, your grace is continually flowing into our lives. And if we receive it, God, we not only can live in that grace every day, we can serve you as your servants every day of our life. And Lord, it makes all the difference in the world between a Christian who's serving by grace and one who's serving you without that grace. And so, God, I pray today that here in this room and maybe those who are watching live stream today, that, God, we're where you want us to be doing what you have called us and are moving us to do, that we say, yes, Lord, I surrender to that, but that we also say, God, I surrender to doing it your way. And there's only one right way to serve the Lord, and that's with his grace. So, God, may we surrender that to you as well, God, today. Would you continue to just raise up servants, Lord, in this place? We need, Lord, more to serve at the Oasis. We need hearts who are willing and ready to serve, eager, enthusiastic, encouraging others to serve. God, would you raise up your servants today? Would you encourage? Would you strengthen? Would you refresh as we surrender all to you, God? These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.